Hey everybody, Terry Welbrock here. Just wanted to thank you for being here and being a part of this healing space. Uh, this is my soul work, as I've said often on this show and on my social media accounts. Um, so yeah, I just feel compelled to put this beautiful light of hope out into the world with these interviews and uh, just this inspiration that's happening in the world right now. I just, I don't know, I feel as if there's a darkness that's trying to overcome us. And you look on social media and you look on the news and it's just so overwhelming, but there's so much goodness and there's so much light and uh, we just need to focus on that. So that is my goal with this show. And again, I just, uh, I thank you for being here. Again, if you want to go to um, my academy.terrywellbrock.com, I have some courses on there, and I have a um, some coaching that I just started to utilize as well. So be sure to go visit that. Visit terrywellbrock.com, T-E-R-I-W-E-L-L-B-R-O-C-K, and you can sign up for my monthly Hope for Healing newsletter. And be sure to go to the YouTube channel or uh, the Facebook page or any of the audio outlets and subscribe. Um, the podcast just hit downloaded in 100 countries. Woohoo! So that's a big uh, that's a big milestone. We've, we're now in 100 countries. All right. Well, this was a, a great interview coming up. So stay tuned. Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I'm your host, Terry Welbrock, and so very excited to have with me today Shelly Buck and Kathy Curtis, who are here to talk about the book, Leave Your Light On, The Musical Mantra Left Behind by an Illuminating Spirit. And uh, they have co-authored this book, and it's about Ryder Buck, and we're going to talk about him and his beautiful life, his beautiful light. Uh, so welcome to both of you. Thank, Thank you. you. It's great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, I, I told you right before we hit record, I'm so excited. I could I could do a seven hour podcast with both of you with all the notes that I've I've written. I have the book right here beside behind me, and uh, it's filled with stars and smiley faces and exclamation points. And um, yeah, I I love the way it's broken down in these in, in little snippets like parts of his journal uh things he had written um and, and it's just it's so easily absorbed i know for me as a reader and just beautiful oh, i'm glad to hear that thank you yes absolutely so um do you want to talk about first um your friendship and how you both came to do this together as a project well, I start, I'm going to let Kathy take over on this question, but I started this writing journey when my son was diagnosed with cancer when he was 22. And I um, kept a journal throughout that time. And that was about a year. And then he was in a tragic accident um, that had nothing to do with the cancer and passed away. And um it, People had told me, you know, you really need to make a book out of this journal. It's amazing. And I continued to write after he passed. So it's a journal of about five or six years. And, um, you know, that just seemed like such a tall order for where I was. But then I got a message from Ryder that said, Mom, tell my story. 
So I couldn't deny that. I, I couldn't ignore him. And um, I started looking for a, a, a co-author. I, I was advised that I needed someone to help me take it out of journal form. And I called Kathy. And I'll let you take it from there, Kath. Well, <laughs> she calls me and she's freaking out because she has no idea who to, or how to even go about finding a ghostwriter. And so I have a background as a writer. I've written my own book and I've done like 20 years of work with people that are grieving. I've written a program. I have healing tools for them. We've been best friends since we were 12. And so I'm sitting on the other end of the phone going, well, <laughs> I'm thinking I know who that might be. And, but she couldn't see it. And when I said, well, you know, what about me? She's like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, you know, we, we've had, we met when we were 12. We just instantly bonded. And um, her life went to California. Mine has been in the Midwest. We've been connected all through our adult lives. And so I know Ryder and I know her whole family and I'm, I'm very intimately involved with, with Shelly and her family and their lives. And so it, it was a real help to me to have that orientation toward Ryder to then help her tell the story. And um, so we just blended our different, abilities and we make a really great team and so we have a book to show for it yes how beautiful oh my gosh well one I have lifelong friendships and I just know what a bond that is and it's so beautiful to have that we still go on girls trips we have a group text every day it's wonderful <laughs> so yeah that's great and the second thing I have to say is I'm going to open my office drawer here in just a second but I love that you shared that you got a, a message from Ryder because my my dad had my, my dad passed in 2009 and as I told you I'm trying to finish up this book manuscript that I've been writing forever about my <laughs> own story and a friend came to me and said um I have a message from your dad now she had never met him before and she said mm -hmm. he told me to tell you there's a message in the blue book and I was like, oh my gosh, the blue book. My dad has tons of books and he wrote like me in every single page, you know, every, oh my and I gosh. Thought, how am I ever going to find this message in the blue book? So long story short, I, I couldn't find anything. I was shaking books, looking for a note to fall out, nothing. So about two years later, sitting there at my desk and said, all right, Holy Spirit, I, you know, I need some inspiration for this book. And I turned my head and I saw the top of a blue book on my bookshelf. And I said, oh my gosh, my dad, my dad was a Jesuit brother for eight years, his Bible. And so I took it out and it's just a solid blue, worn blue cover. And I said, oh, he probably wrote on every page. I started flipping through it. He wrote on one page. Oh my gosh. And I blew it up and it says, my writing ability, what am I doing with it? Wow. And that's wow. all that was written in the blue book. And I said, okay, now uh, I know I'm supposed oh. to finish this book. Thanks, dad. Wow. <laughs> I guess that's amazing. Yeah. So I get it. And I love it that you honored that. I love it. Love it that you honored his, his message to you. So. Yeah. He also asked me to learn to, to play the guitar, but I haven't quite, I haven't quite honored that request, <laughs> like, but the writing I could do. 
Yeah, beautiful. Well, and what a gift the book is. Again, you know, it's it certainly has touched me uh, on a heart and soul level. So um, yeah, a gift from him and from both of you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, for sure. So let's let's turn a little bit towards um, some healing practices. I know uh, for those many people who tune into this show have have been through trauma or tremendous amounts of grief. Um, and so really, what are some practices people can do um, along their their grief journey? You know, I the program that I developed was it was born out of my own experience when I lost my mom. and I had a very unique uh, synchronistic event that that led to, everything about the way that I got through my grief. But um, I, I found that writing letters to her after her death was so cathartic. And we have so many, you know, questions that we need, that we have, or we have things that we never got to say. We have memories that we need to process because they're still in our bodies, you know, in a traumatic way, maybe. And so um, the program that I do has actually two parts. You write to your loved one and they write back. But when I was working with Shelly, you know, what I, what I know just being on the phone with her and being with her every day for a couple of years is that just writing through the entire, you know, she had already written her journal but bringing it back and actually packaging it and doing something profound with everything that had happened, I know was very healing for her. So my final comment would be that doing something with your grief that relates to the loved one who died, you know, for example, I mean, you got the message from your dad and that it was related to his death. And it's just sort of, finding that way to, to make something new out of what has happened that left you, you know, in grief. Yes. And wow, I've heard that so many times before and how cathartic writing can be. Well, I'm just, you know, and just keeping the journal itself was incredibly cathartic. Um, but yes, then to, to practice, I know I've written letters of forgiveness to my perpetrators um, mm. and then burn them to send the negative energy. <laughs> but yeah, mm. it, it really is. It, oh, I just found it so healing uh, for myself to really let the burden of that weight go. So, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. beautiful. I so did I a do... few other things. Go ahead. No, that's all right. Go ahead. Um, in as part of my healing journey, I, I did talk to mediums, uh, went to group therapy, um, saw a therapist, um, all of which, you know, put a Band-Aid on it for a brief period of time, but it wasn't helping me heal. The medium probably did the most because that way I was in touch with Ryder. And I found that that was the most healing aspect of my of my journey was to be in touch with him and, and contact his light, which helped mine come back on. Um, We memorialized him in so many ways. We, we started a scholarship. We um, put a bench up on his favorite mountain. We 
produced three of his CDs and followed in his footsteps to his favorite place on earth, which was Bali, and pretty much did imitated his journey through Bali. Um, all of these things brought Ryder closer and kept him um, present on a daily basis. I watched his videos endlessly, you know, because he was a musician. I had videotaped all of his gigs and read his journals. Um, all of these things helped keep him present. And that was probably the most important healing aspect of my journey. Yes. Well, I know what you just said, reading his journals. I know in reading this book, seeing his words and, and I, I just felt like I knew him. I felt I was so connected to him. Um, and, and at first I was like, oh, you know, like I'm reading, I'm reading his words. But then I, I just, I truly felt his light come through reading his journal entries. And I just think that was just such a beautiful aspect of the book. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was really important to us. And there is so much. He was prolific, but, you know, just a sample of it's in the book. Yeah. Well, and I, I would like to add on to that. He is an extraordinary spirit. And he, um, part of what I think people just really were drawn to him. They were helped by him. They loved him. But he was an ornery guy, as you know, from reading the book. And so when he, the, the Leave Your Light On is actually the first song he ever wrote. And that was years before, you know, the book came about. And we even knew that we would use that title. But, but having written the book and, and tried, as you said, to make him come to life to really honor his, you know, unique spirit. Um, the fact that he wrote that song and that that was the mantra that he lived, like live from your heart, you know, give love, be, you know, just, just be open to life and follow your energy and all that kind of stuff. And I think it really does come through that you get that from him and you can take that from him. And then you get to have, you know, it just makes you look at your own light. Like, what is my light about? How do I shine? Yeah. And he's a good model for that because he's not perfect. Yes. Well, and I love that. I love that you put that in there. Like, I think at the beginning of, of the book, it said something about putting forth not just his light, but his flaws as well, because it really does to paint a picture of, um, we're all human, and right. uh, but we all do yeah. have this beautiful light. I say it so often on this show. I, I tell people, I'll probably thank both of you at the end for shining your light of hope, <laughs> because really, we all do have this beautiful light within us. And um, yeah, it's just a matter of letting it shine forth. Mm -hmm. And when you need that help, you know, when you're going through grief, grief is a very dark place yeah. when you're really in, you know, the thick of it. And having a way to access an outer light for a while, just until you can bring that light of your own back on. And that's what writing will do. And that's what, you know, all the things that Shelly did. I mean, she was relentless. She was, she was going to connect with him no matter what. And it took a while and she was about to give up because she couldn't make that connection. But then it came through. and. 
we have a book to show for it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. When he says, write the book, mom. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wonderful. So I really want to honor, I, I, I just want to honor him. I feel like he needs to, his story needs to be told. Is there anything that you want to share about him outside of people? You really need to read this book because they really do. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Well, when he was going through his cancer treatment, you know, part of this being an ordinary character was he was very cooperative with the doctors, but when it was time to come home in between his, in his, his treatments, um, he, boy, he put me through my paces. He would go camping and hiking and surfing and to Dodger Stadium and to concerts and all these places where he could be exposed to germs of all kinds. And his, you know, his immune system was low, um, but he was being himself and he was really carving out space for him to um, nurture his own light. He needed to do what he needed to do to get through this. And all of those antics that drove me to distraction were part of his self-medicine. Um, so, uh, you know, I had to take, I had to take the good with the bad. I had to say, this is good for him. So I have to deal. And that was, um, that was a dance we did the entire time. And of course he was a 22 year old when he was diagnosed. So he was already breaking away. You know, he lived at home because he was a student, but um, he was trying to carve out his own independence from the very beginning. Yeah. I think there was a part where you went up to his room and the screen was popped out of the window and oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Had, right. He had gotten out of his cage that night. And, right. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I have three kids, my, my two older sons. Um, yeah, I, I remember recently talking to, I can't remember which one of them I was talking to. They're 27 and 25, but I, I remember saying to them, um, once I, I was able to kind of take a step back, oh, I had done so much healing work myself and take a step back and say, you know what, I really need to honor who they are on their journey, where they mm -hmm. are on their journey. And so it really has helped our relationship. Like it's just helped it blossom because I, I'm trying to respect where they are and, and just remember they aren't where I am. Right. <laughs> so they're still growing and learning and figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's a hard, hard thing to lose someone at a young age. I watched writers peers. They came to us a lot in the beginning and talked about Ryder, talked about his life had affected them and how his death had affected them. And they were confounded. They hadn't experienced anything like this. I mean, maybe a grandparent, but even even that was rare. And to lose a peer and to become suddenly aware of your own mortality as a possibility was mind bending for these kids. And so, you know, talking with them and they helped me through, through my grief, they, they brought Ryder home and present. Um, but just talking with them and talking through it um, was helpful to, to all of us, you know, and I have two other sons that are younger than Ryder who are, you know, still dealing. 
it's been almost eight years and they're still finding their way through um, in very different ways. Yeah. Well, and that was one of the other things I was going to ask is for, for younger people, how do you give any advice for how they, how they deal with grief and you just, you just tapped upon it. So yeah. Um, And talking about it is a, is I think a gift because you're keeping their spirit alive. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will be like, Oh, we don't want to bring up their name. Yeah, that would not work for me. And um, my youngest son is a comedian. He's done stand-up comedy. And that was that was the thing that brought him out of the darkness. I mean, he went to one year of college, dropped out, didn't see the point in anything. This was all arrested development from losing his his brother. And then he did some studying of comedy and found that he could actually laugh again and ultimately did some stand-up and even wrote a joke about Ryder, which was uh, dropped my jaw when that happened. It was like, okay, he has really made a leap that he could he could joke about his dead brother. And that was uh, that was a huge turning point for him. My um my middle son um, very quiet and private about his about his grief, and it's a little harder to get him um, engaged. Um, so I I let him be with it. You know, he has to find his own way, and I certainly share my process openly. So anything he can take from that is is great. But you know, everybody does it their own way. My husband had to go away on a road trip. I mean, this was like the second week after Ryder had passed, he said, I, I need to go up the coast and be by myself. Well, our house was full of people. I needed that desperately. I, I couldn't be alone at that point. And um, so I said, well, go, you know, if that's what you need. And he, he went and he spent some time communing with Ryder and nature and music. And that was what he needed you know, where I needed the exact opposite. So we just had to find our own ways. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that because grief is an individual journey and Mm -hmm. there's no set time. Some people can grieve very shortly. Some can grieve for the rest of their lives. And it, it really is. um, You do it your way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's true. I, you know, I, I can't help but think about the fact that we're so uncomfortable communicating about grief, really communicating about anything big. I mean, I've worked in a hospital where people sit with the TV on blaring, visiting a loved one, and nobody's talking about anything. And you could just feel the, but, you know, I've had, I've had like mother daughters go through my program. And when they write, when they take the writing prompt and they each do their own, and then they read it to one another. It's it's like they had no idea how the other one felt. And it was a real healing and bonding thing. And I know that that's kind of an awkward thing for people to do on their own, but um, it's, it's just a tool. You know, it's a tool for people that are listening that may go, you know what, maybe, maybe I could try that on my own. Yeah. Well, and I think writing, at least for me, sometimes my son, my, my middle child will say, 
mom, why do you send these 75 page texts? Just call me because <laughs> like, I can write it out so much better than I can speaking it. And I can, I, the writer yeah. in me, I can communicate it better than, than trying to talk it out. So that's where you get the 75 page text. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's so true. We, we think differently when we write, yeah. we yeah. have a more elevated perspective when we're writing than we do when we're talking which is why a lot of people have told me that being in a support group kind of kept them stuck and they needed a way to kind of move beyond it and writing is a way you know to do that yeah I hadn't really thought about that before yeah of just sitting just talking that a lot of times you just really can't come up with the words <laughs> they're you're nope. stumbling and it's like oh it's there but I oh but then writing it out yeah, yeah. and I think speaking you're often still in your head not always but but I think it's it's a very heady space to just be talking and, and a little bit of ego comes in there but when you're writing you can tap in more easily to your heart and um and the words that come out are enlightening um that is at least what I found in the process yeah yeah oh and again I've had those aha moments and sometimes I truly think that in the writing process we truly do have those spirit guides those people that are with us and and I've read things that I've written before and afterwards I'm like did I write that that come from (laughs) Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely exactly well we both you know, I felt writer on my right shoulder all the time. We spent two years talking on the phone, editing, working on the, you know, the, the writing of the book. And it was, you know, it was a joy, really. I loved having him there, but I got messages from him too. And I think, so I think you're right. I think writing takes us to more of a, it's just, to me, it feels elevated and, we need to to lift up out of you know the stuff of life occasionally yes oh i i couldn't agree more and been there done it so yes <laughs> thanks so is there anything that you wanted to touch upon that we haven't had an opportunity to discuss yet mm. you know i have some notes and i um think about the way you know, parents can um, approach their children in parenting and just bringing them up through whatever difficulty or crisis. It doesn't have to be a death in the family, but, you know, in growing up, there are always crises. Um, and the the one thing that that I tried to do, and I wasn't always successful because there are boundaries to be set, but I tried to help them find their own passions their their own inner light and follow that my youngest just said to me the other day what am I going to do with my life mom and I said well you're going to do what you love and you'll do it so well that eventually you'll make money at it you know and and that was the best advice I had for him you know Ryder asked me that same question and he was he had his guitar on his back. So I just said, well, look in the mirror, you know, I mean, it's obvious what you love. And um, so helping them live an authentic, um, centered, 
um, life in touch with their own spirits is is one thing that you can do from the time they're little. You know, if they if they show an interest in in drawing, provide them with colors and and paper. And if they're musical, you know, little things to bang on. Um, it, it 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 changes as they grow, but they always have a light there that shines brighter when they're doing one thing or another and identifying that and encouraging it is probably the best parenting advice I can give. Yes. And I love that advice. And by the third child, I figured it out. Yes. I tell my older two now, I, I tell as, as they're Jake's trying to finish up his degree and uh, the, the, the younger one. And I, and I'd say, just follow your passion, find that thing that sets you on fire and do that. But the 14 year old, oh my gosh, you stick a camera in that girl's hand and she is phenomenal. And so I tell her uh-huh. all the time, do it, do it. If you want to be a photographer, make it happen and uh, follow that dream because it will happen. Yeah, that is great. Yeah. Great advice. (laughs) So now how do people get a hold of the book? How do they connect with you? Well, they can. um, We have a website, leaveyourlightonbook.com, which has links to the book. Uh, It can also be looked up on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. And uh, they're selling it. Um, and um, what else, Kath? Um, well, I would just go there to read. You know, there's a link to another website about Ryder and his music. And so you can kind of get the whole picture and live action feel for Ryder. And I think that that's even, you know, it, it's just enlightening. Yes. Well, I know. And I was going to bring that up and is go listen to his music because um, I, again, I told you, I just listened to his song and I had it in my head. It was just, it's adorable. And I loved it. So yeah. And it will not go away. I guarantee you because I've never, it's in my head all the time. (laughs) Random moments. It'll just fly in. And I feel like it's brighter kind of shining a light. Yeah. Well, I think I thought I was playing that one at first, but I think there was there was one like down by the river or down to the river. Yes. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I love this song. And so I was listening and then I was like, there's nothing about leaving a light on in this. And then I was like, oh, wait, I'm on the wrong song. But I love that song, too. It was awesome. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Well, it has just uh, been a delight to have you both here today to. uh, Yeah. To honor writer and his light and um to talk about the book and your work so thank you well thank thank you you so much terry yeah thanks for having us absolutely all right well everyone thank you for joining us today on the healing place podcast and remember until next time be gentle with yourself thanks bye-bye hey everybody terry welbrock again just wanted to thank you for listening to the episode today and remind you to visit my website as well as the academy.terrywellbrock.com for the courses. But if you go to my website, terrywellbrock.com, you can sign up for my monthly Hope for Healing newsletter, which is also jam-packed with information and strategies and blog pieces and guest blog pieces and links to shows. Um, 
and just a great space for, uh, again, healing and hope strategies. Thanks for, again, being here and being a part of this healing space. I very much appreciate you. All right. Bye-bye.